Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. As part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to realtor Charlie Ray Goss of Lions Realty online at makeamarellohome.com and to realtor Marie Bean of Wick Realty online at mariebean.com. Today's guest is Mary Jane Johnson, who probably doesn't need an introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. She is the general and artistic director of the Amarillo Opera, one of the city's premier arts organizations. Before that, however, she was one of the world's great dramatic sopranos. While based here in Amarillo, she performed all over the world during her career, from the Metropolitan Opera in New York to the Opera Bastille of Paris, to places like Australia, Argentina, Chicago, Milan, Santa Fe, and Carnegie Hall. One of the highlights of her career came when she appeared with Luciano Pavarotti in a televised performance with the Opera Company of Philadelphia, which we talk about in this episode. Mary Jane is always a lot of fun, and we talk about how she found her way into opera, what it was like performing all over the world, and why she's so excited about what's coming up for Amarillo Opera. Here's Mary Jane Johnson. Mary Jane Johnson, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. You're one of those people that, uh, number one, I've had in my pocket to interview uh, at some point on the show. And so I'm glad we're finally making that work. And you're also a person that I have listeners tell me all the time, when are you going to interview her? Oh, well, she's nice. got such great stories to tell. Surely. And I'm, <laughs> I've been like, yes, I, I know. I'm just waiting for uh, the right time. I feel like this is the right time. This is the right time for sure. So I want to start with you uh, the same way I start with all my guests. And that's to ask why you're here in the first place. So what brought you to the Texas Panhandle? Well, I was raised, born and raised in Pampa, Texas. And so I love the Panhandle. Went to school, graduated there, went on to Texas Tech, came back to. I married a, a man at Tech. He played basketball for Tech, David Johnson. Mm-hmm. And we married our senior year. And then we came back to Amarillo because he started working for Phillips Petroleum. And he trained here for 18 months. Okay. And then we were transferred to Abilene, Texas. So we lived there three years, three and a half years, and then he decided they were going to move us to Houston, and he, we decided we didn't want to live in Houston, so we just go back to the Panhandle. So we came back to the Panhandle, and he worked here, and that's how we got here. You've been back ever since. Yes, ever since. That was 76. Okay. What brought your family to Pampa? Like, What did your parents do there? Both of my parents were nearly born and raised in Pampa. Okay. My father was from Chillicothe, born in Chillicothe. My mother, born in Ranger, Texas, and then moved to Borger, Texas. And then they went to high school together. My dad and his family, his dad was the Ford dealer, okay, brand new Ford dealer, when cars started coming on in, sure. in Pampa. So he went to graduate from high school there. My mother graduated from high school, and they went off to Texas Tech together. And, and then, came back. And came back. They married after they graduated. Mm-hmm. And my father and his brother, Tom, my dad was named Rex Rose, and my his brother, Tom Rose, and they started in the business at the same, when they both came back. Okay. And then they went to the war and, you know, all those things. Did, did they have any artistic talent okay, I love telling this story. Sort of- yes. Oh, yes. This is so fun. My Both my parents sang. 
My father's mother was the organist for the First Baptist Church. All right. And so he came by his... important role. Yes, and she had a master's... That was years ago. She had a master's degree in piano and organ. So he was around music all his life. I never knew my grandmother. She died when she was 48 of sleeping sickness at the time. So my dad loved to sing, and my mother loved to sing, and they had fabulous voices. And they would just go around and sing before they had children and sing for people. And one of my best, most fabulous memories was when I was, I guess, I'm trying to figure out the age. I'd always stay with my grandmother, Mm -hmm. my mother's mother, on uh, New Year's Eve. But by... Five of midnight, they were there to pick me up and sang to my grandmother. And her name was Mary. I was named after her. And they sang all the old Mary's a Grand Old Name, all these wonderful old songs. They had a couple of friends that were like family to me, and they'd bring them, and they'd all sing this four-part harmony to my grandmother. And I was amazed. At the time, I was just amazed. You're just like, you didn't I, think, oh, this I, is what all families yeah, do. Yeah, I did. I did. Regularly so, sing in harmony with yeah, each other. And I grew up with all of that music and the passion for it. And that's, my my mother had the beautiful voice, but they were both smokers. Oh. Yeah, they were both, and my dad off and on, and my mother all the time. But her voice was really low. And I remember telling her when, after I won the Pavarotti competition and they came to see me in Philadelphia, I remember telling her, just remember, I know it's your voice I inherited. <laughs> and she was so thrilled because, you know, my dad was a, quite a showman. I imagine you probably sang from an early age, but did it, because your family was doing that, did it feel like you were super talented or anything no. like that? Or you're just like singing is what we oh, do Oh, no, but this, is what, this is what we do. And a lot of people that grew up and grow up in singing families or musical families of, of some sort. But I always sang in choir. Church mm-hmm. choir was big. I was a Baptist, raised Baptist, and I always sang in church choir. And then music was a huge thing in Pampa, Texas. I, I know that. Huge. Okay. So you know how we have our own music building. That's right. And I mean, I grew up in churches and church choir and stuff like that. And that sort of expression is just very natural within that sort of setting. Mm -hmm. And so if you can sing, you probably are singing in the choir or you're singing for the church, you're doing Mm -hmm. special music, something like that. Mm -hmm. So it it doesn't feel like, uh, oh, I'm special because I can sing. Because a lot of people are doing that, right? Right, exactly. Now, another little tidbit is that my elementary school teacher, Eloise Lane, was a organ piano student of my grandmother. Okay. So then she was my elementary school teacher and my piano teacher. So I had all that heritage of of music and piano and all that sort of thing, and then made all-state choir and then went on to Texas Tech on scholarship and do all the things you do when you think that you can't live without music. Well, when did you start to think, okay, music is something maybe that is going to stick with me longer than the church choir? Well, I did it. I, you know, I sang all the time. I played the piano, but not great. But I could play and teach myself the music and so forth. I guess my senior year, I, I was auditioning for scholarships, and my English teacher said, "Now, what are you going to major in?" I said, uh, "Well, I think music." Oh no, that's just a hobby. And I just couldn't get over that that she said that's just a hobby. And I went home to my parents. and I went, "It's not a hobby. It's it's what I want to do." I thought I wanted to be a choir director. Okay. I had no idea I had enough talent to be a soloist. 
So yeah, and I have a great story about that. Tell me, okay. okay tell me how you figure it out because I sang in the church choir. Uh huh. I was a pretty good singer in high school, but I did not have you know a lengthy opera career. So there's a difference mm-hmm. between the two of us, obviously. So how did you know? Okay, this is something that I not just I could be a choir director, but I could have a career performing. Okay, you graduate from college, you, you do all this singing. And people start recognizing that you can sing. Like a, when I was a senior at Tech, I was asked to be the soloist with the Lubbock Symphony Okay, as a senior. And so I thought, well, I must be okay. It must be pretty good. And then when we moved to Abilene, I started teaching voice at McMurray. I was the adjunct teacher at McMurray, and I would enter some competitions. But I always, no matter where I lived, took voice lessons. Okay, No matter where I lived, I took voice lessons because I wanted to get better. It was all about getting better. And when we left Abilene, I said, oh, I'm out of information. (laughs) I've got to go get a master's degree. Mm -hmm. So we moved back to Amarillo. So naturally, I went to West Texas. There was a great teacher there at the time. So I got that degree. And then my voice just started getting better and better and better. I switched from mezzo-soprano to soprano. And then they moved away. My voice teachers moved away. They said, you should go study with this famous coach at North Texas. So I said, okay. I did everything everybody told me to do. Yeah. And I saw, I drove to Denton, Texas for two years every month and took three lessons on that weekend wow. and came back. And so my teacher there, Harold Heiberg, who's since deceased, said, you need to enter the Metropolitan Opera Auditions. And I'm telling you, I didn't even know what that was. Mm-hmm. I was 27, I guess. Well, 29 by the time he told me. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, this is what you have to do. You have to have five arias. So we kept working on these arias. And then I went to San and- El Paso, one there. Went to San Antonio, one there. So that meant I got to go to New York. So when I got to New York, I thought, well, this is cool. I really like this. I never planned my entire life of, oh, I'm going to be an opera singer. I just let my life flow into what it was supposed to be. Right. And But you knew what you were good at. I knew what I was good at. And I'm telling you, I was, that's the only thing I was good at. Hmm. I mean, I couldn't have been a math major. I couldn't have done anything else, but I could sing. Hmm. And and then I started teaching, and I realized I was a good teacher. But I always tell young people, I had this experience when we moved to Amarillo the first time, where there was one choir position open at Austin Middle School, and there was there were two people, me and somebody else, who applied for the job. And it was now remember it was the choir job. Yeah. But the girl that got the job was a flautist. She played the flute, and she was from West Texas, and her father was dean of fine arts. So she and and Richard Kidwell, I'm naming names because they're all dead. And <laughs> Richard Kidwell is the one that hired her, not me. Hmm. So I I did I just said okay. I, I mean I, I really wasn't upset. So I opened my own voice studio, and I had about thirty five students in this voice studio. And of course, it's semester. She quit, and they called me, but I already had this studio. Yeah. So I said, well, really, I can't do it. My husband probably is going to get transferred, and I have these kids, and I can't leave these kids. So that turned my life around, because if I hadn't— Not getting that job. Not getting that job. Things happen for a reason. You have to go with it. Hmm. And I tell young people that all the time. What if I got that job? I would have gone the choral end of it. Yeah. And and. I was clearly supposed to be a soloist, right. and it would have been a fulfilling career. It would have been. I would have loved it. Middle school. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It would. I would have had a heart attack soon after that. But <laughs> no, I, that's. I always say it's the reason for everything. Hmm. Okay, so let's talk about 
your career? Um, because I, you know, still having had the opportunity to go and try out at the Metropolitan Opera, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure you were trying out alongside dozens of other very talented singers. Yes, very talented. Um, you could be, as, as I talked about with a, a previous podcast guest, you know, you could be the best singer in the Texas Panhandle mm-hmm. or in Texas, and there's still 49 other states. That's you right. Know? And so you go to someplace like the Met, that big fish, you know, the, the pond gets much, much bigger, I guess. Yes. Very. So tell me what happened at that point. Okay, so I got there. It's interesting that what happened with that, because I went in San Antonio, and then I got to New York, and they all know who the singers are, because they're all out there. Mm-hmm. in the, And there was a singer they'd been keeping their eye on in Texas, and I won't name names or anything, but they were planning on her winning. Okay. And so I was a walk-on nobody. You weren't even on their radar? No. They didn't know who I was. I was teaching voice, finishing a master. You know, I, I was not on their radar. They didn't know who I was. So I got up there, and they said, oh, you must be blah, 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 the other person. Mm-hmm. I said, no, I'm not that person. So they, it's pretty political by that high level. Mm-hmm. So I, th- there were 22 of us, and they only picked 10 to be in the finals, and I was not one of those 10. Okay. But I thought I was good enough to be one of those 10. You know, and and I was, but I didn't get in the finals. So I just stayed up in New York an extra week to see if I could handle living there and trying to be be a singer and all that sort of thing. So I really took it very seriously because I was going to have to change my whole life. At the time, our daughter was a year and a half old. How was I going to do this? Yeah. So I, I decided I really wanted to do it, but I came back home and I sang for a lot of people in the know, went to Santa Fe, sang for several conductors to see if they thought I had a chance. And it's just so much luck involved yeah. with this. So then my husband had just started his own business. So he said, you need to try this. And I always give Richard Ware credit for this because I went to the bank. My dad and I went to the bank and I didn't have any money and I borrowed some money and he said, why are you, what are you doing? I'm going to go to New York, and I'm going to be an opera singer, and I'm going to pay this money back. And he said, well, yeah, you can have the money. But they were shocked that anybody would do this in the year 1980. Yeah. Not not to start a business, not no, to buy a house. to be an opera singer. Sing, now, really, yeah. really, that that's already weird for this part of the country. So I did and took our daughter with us and put her in Montessori school from 9 to 3, Every day, and then that was the year the Metropolitan Opera went on strike. Oh. So I had access to all the teachers and professors and coaches. Coaches are pianists that play your music, and teachers all over town. So that's what I used my money for. And I had a friend who she and her husband were going on tour with the play Camelot, and they had their apartment available to sublet right in the middle of Sixty Ninth Street. Okay, so I. Everything fell into place. It was like it couldn't have been a better situation for me. So I did that two years, and then I was a, I established myself, got management, won the Pavarotti competition, and then I got to come back home and live in Amarillo okay. and work out of Amarillo. Was that competition that you won, was that sort of it, your main foot Yes, the That's how yes, you ended up on the yes, radar of so many other yes, companies. Yes, and at that time, the first time, that, that was the very first competition, and you had to be sponsored. And I had done a master class with Pavarotti's 
accompanist. Okay. And he heard me and asked me if he could sponsor me for the competition. And that was another boost, you know. So I got to do that. And there were, out of 500, 600 winners that got to come to Philadelphia, they only picked 17 people. Mm. And I was one of those 17. And the prize was to sing an opera with Pavarotti. And I got to sing Musetta in La Boheme and Adina in Eliseo d'Amore. So I got to do two slots there. Mm. And that happens... Yeah, just because I want listeners to understand this, that happened after you sort of were grinding away at it for two yeah. years in New York. Yes. You know? Well, I had to catch up in New York. That's why I went, because I didn't have enough musicality, enough. I needed... You had raw talent. I had raw talent, and I'd been a teacher, and I'd had very good teachers. Not very many. I only had... By that time, I had three teachers. And that's hmm. that's not very many teachers. And I got something from all those that were different. And so then I went to New York, and I actually auditioned people to study with, who I wanted to study with. That was interesting, because I'd been a teacher, and I had had such good teaching that I knew what my next level was, and I felt like it was to sing more in the Italianate okay. style. So I ended up uh, with all people, uh, Franco Corelli's wife, okay. Loretta Corelli, who was not a very happy, pleasant person, but I got what I needed from her, and I took three lessons a week, and you had to pay cash. Wow. Very Italian. Yeah. Yeah, very Italian. So, you know, I it was hard work, hard work, and I studied languages, and yeah, I just had a lot of good training, but I knew I needed more. I think where singers get in trouble is they think they know it all mm-hmm. from the beginning, and they don't. And you have to make decisions of what you're going to do with your technique. How are you going to do this? What repertory are you going to sing? And have the teachers who will push you yes. rather than just saying, oh, well, this is somebody who's yeah. got a great voice. I mean, you, you've got to be pushed by somebody. You have to be pushed, but you have to be self-motivated. Mm-hmm. You know, really, if you're not self-motivated, it's not going to happen. Okay, so you, you win the Pavarotti uh, competition. That kind of launches you onto the national or international mm-hmm. stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for the next, what, three decades, are you traveling all mm-hmm. over the world? Yes. But you're at, based in Amarillo. At, based in Amarillo, and I only took the jobs that I could work out the family situation with it, because by this time... Because you're raising kids. Yeah, we have two children, works husband works here, and I would go off and be gone three weeks, and then I'd come back and stay home six weeks, hmm. and go off and do three weeks, come back, stay back six weeks. And if I had a back-to-back job, we'd take the kids with us, Etc. Like and you I had, say a job, or you go off. Like you're going to Italy, Italy, you're going to Austria. Yeah, you're performing all over the world. Yes, and the one time my husband sold his business, uh, we went for a month to Australia because I was singing in Australia. So we took the kids and went for a month. So we had some wonderful experiences, and the children had great experiences. Oh, I'm sure. And when I sang in England, I sang, we, we lived on a sheep farm outside of Leeds. In, uh, in Yorkshire, mm-hmm. and they were there two months and went to school and watched the lambs being born. And, you know, we still have pictures from all that. It's hard work. It's hard work to sing on the road and have your family. Sure. But I just had a lot of energy at the time. Tell me what that's like as a career. You know, I, I know people are thinking, okay, well, you you go do, an, a, do a performance or two or three performances, and it's in Austria. 
why does it take three weeks? Like, are you getting there? Are you kind of acclimating? Are you getting okay, the jet lag? And then no, you're not. You don't have any time for that. Okay, because I wanted to be home as much as I did. I didn't go early and get acclimated. I got there the day before we had to start rehearsal. Okay, and you rehearse for a sh- for an opera three weeks, usually, and then you perform it. Okay, for. 10 days to two. It depends on how many performances you have. So you can be there usually six weeks. Right. So you, it's it's rehearsing then with the whole company. Yes. And, okay. Yes. And everybody's there. And it takes a while to put opera together. I, I Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm finding that more and more now. <laughs> well, now, you're, now that's your role. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me why you maintained Amarillo as a home base. Like, why not live in New York or, or someplace where you can continue your training that's a little bit easier to travel from? Well, I was able to stay here to train because Jim Gardner was my coach, and he taught me opera. He taught me the opera roles that I was doing. Okay. So, and he was an opera coach, and he was in Boston and Juilliard, and he has quite a background himself. And he was my coach, so I learned all my rep here and I got to stay here. That's the reason you live in New York because you've got to study. Okay. You've got to study all the time. You never quit studying. I would, when I was home, I'd coach three days a week with him, but I wanted to stay here because that's where I'm from. I mean, I'm a real panhandle Texan. I am yeah. a Texan. And my husband, I was asked one time to please move to Italy because I could, by the, by the intendant of La Scala. And I, I said, David, they, they want me to move to Italy and I'll get a lot of a lot of singing engagements all over Italy. Well, what am I going to do? He said. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, because he was not a follow me around person. Right. Yeah. And he had his own business. The kids, I mean, looking back on it now, it would have been a fabulous experience uh, for everybody, but I just couldn't ask him to give up everything. Yeah. So I just traveled, I just did all the flying. I'm thinking of someone like you who has a high profile career. Um, who's in demand, you know, at, at very famous opera houses and, you know, world cities, but you're from Amarillo, Texas, or at least from the Pan- Panhandle mm-hmm. and for Pampa. Like, what kind of conversations did you have, you know, with some of these some of these people about where you're from? Was it, was it sort of like, I can't believe you're an opera singer and you come from a place like that? Well, but a lot of uh, famous opera singers come from places like that. Really? Yeah, like Sam Raimi is from Wichita, Kansas. Okay. Just a lot of people come from small towns, especially Texans. So it, it was not a deal. There's I not mean, a built-in bias. No, no, they loved Texans. They loved the accent, mm-hmm. you know, especially the Italians. They just love the accent of the Texas drawl or whatever. Right. Yeah. And they couldn't believe when I opened my mouth I actually could sing in Italian. But And I didn't, never got any trouble over that because I had all that training. And then I came from a family that were into the arts. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I didn't tell you this part about being raised in Pampa. My mother and father were head of this organization called the Community Concerts, which was out of New York City. And they brought in people like Roberta Peters, okay. Robert Merrill, very famous singers. To perform, in, to Pampa. perform in Pampa, Texas, in our junior high auditorium. Wow. So when I was a teenager, I would watch these people sing. It would just be a natural thing. We had to go to the community concerts. So then when I moved to New York and got uh, – my agent was Columbia Artist, and Columbia Artist sponsored the community concerts. So the man that was in charge called me and said, I'd love you to sing, be an offer. We'll offer your, your recital to community concerts. And I said, yes, because I went to community yeah. concerts. I really believed in it. I believed that that's how you got it out and got people knowing about about 
singing and classical music. And it's so, so the first year of my time with Columbia Artists, I did 37 wow. recitals all over the United States. And then the second year, it was like 24 and then 13. And Jim Rousher played those for me because yeah. he was at the college and we just had a wonderful relationship of doing those wonderful concerts together. So it's something I believed in, but I yeah. wanted to throw that in because not very many people know about that. Well, that's interesting too, because I can imagine, you know, you have performed on the stage of the Metropolitan Opera and then you're doing these community concerts, you know, in smaller cities, certainly in front of smaller crowds. Was there... Well, I wasn't at the Met then. I had oh, no expectations. Had, okay. I was going to say, is, is and, there a And difference? I wasn't a regular at the Met. Uh, well, I did a couple of times there, but and that's another story. Sure, but even was there so, a difference? Is there a difference in no how you people or how are you people? Treated? No, no. You're singing for people that want to hear you sing. Okay, and you do the same performance. You don't whether back nothing. Why do that? I yeah. mean, yeah, that's how I feel about Amarillo and the Amarillo Opera. That's why we have to present good things. To the public in Amarillo, not things like, oh, they're from Amarillo, they won't yeah, know any difference. there's the Amarillo version. There, yes, there is no Amarillo version. It is the same. And that's why I have to bring or want to bring excellent artists here to sing for our people because they've heard me all their lives here mm-hmm. in Amarillo. I've sung with the symphony a million times here. They're used to hearing certain sounds and certain talent, so it's my responsibility to bring good talent. Okay. Now, we use local talent for small roles and chorus and stuff like that, and we have a couple of people in town that are actually singers yeah. and have been on the circuit, so they, they sing with us too. Well, but like Eric Berry. Eric Berry, exactly. Yeah. Former and he guest on this podcast, actually. Yes, and he uh, is our Duke in the Rigoletto. That's right. Yeah. All right, so let's. I, I do want to talk about that transition um, from what you were doing, being on the circuit, traveling all around, to sort of pulling it back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I know that you've been with Emerald Opera for about five years. This or so. is the fifth year. Yeah. When did you know? Okay, I, I need to. I need to sort of wind down the constant world travel. And how did you know that? Okay. Does your voice start? To change? I mean, well, I was very it? healthy. I never had canceled a performance ever in my life. So I could have sung for a long time. But I sang in night, in 2000. I went to Israel to sing. Mm-hmm. And it was a very difficult situation. Not only the flying and the role, I was singing the role of Electra, probably the most difficult role in the, in the repertory. Okay. And it wasn't a great situation. So I, when I got on that plane to came, come home, I went, I'm not going back to Europe. I don't like this travel and the jet lag and the stress and all of that. So at that time, Myla Gibson, who was running the Amarillo Opera, decided to quit teaching at Amarillo College. And I had taught at Amarillo College two years. And then she called me while I was in Israel and said, apply for this job again, blah, blah, blah. So I did, and I took the Amarillo College job, and they let me go out and travel. But I just didn't want to travel to Europe anymore. I had done that so much, and I was exhausted from that. So that's kind of when I decided to get back into the teaching, and I loved my work at Amarillo College. I did it 21 years, Mm -hmm. and I don't do that anymore. But um, yeah, you just know. I could have probably done a lot more, but I just didn't want to. Does does an opera singer's voice kind of start to age? Does It, it get harder? I'll tell you what starts to happen. Your body falls apart. Okay. 
The voice could still be the great. The voice can still be great. It's, there's so much physicality there's, to it. It's, there's it's, breathing. It's a pro dance. football job. Yeah. It's, I always say, well, I'm a pro football player. Because the roles I did were very strenuous, very athletic roles. And so when your body starts getting older and you start having knee problems or you start mm-hmm. having – you just can't do those athletic roles again. And you don't want to. So you just have to face face the music. Yeah. Tell me about – your role at Amarillo Opera. Well, first, let's talk about how you viewed Amarillo Opera, because that's always interesting to me uh, when when you're someone who has performed at the highest level, Mm -hmm. and then to come back and to have responsibility for a local arts institution, which, as you said, you're trying to bring in the highest level of performers. You're trying to do the best you can. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like it is an opera-based in the Texas Panhandle, uh, where you're you're drawing from a smaller talent pool, mm-hmm. um, like what is it like to to kind of go from way up here to to something that's more regional? Okay, that's how do you think about that? I guess. Well, that's an interesting question and not an easy one to answer because mm-hmm. the the company Mala started the company and she did a fabulous job and it was very local oriented and she hired a lot of local singers and it just kept getting better and she'd bring in a few more out of towners and then she retired from the opera job and they hired another person and he would bring in more out of towners and all that. So the, the opera naturally kept getting more professional. Okay. Uh huh. More professional. And, but my whole mission is to celebrate the voice and I say this a lot, I love good singing. And I I believe that my mission is to bring in singers that were as good as I was or better. Okay. I mean, a lot of singers I know that are running companies don't know good singing because they weren't very good singers or they weren't singers at all. Okay. Okay. So that that's a little something throw, to throw in with that. So my deal is to celebrate the voice. So where I would spend the Amarillo Opera money and the, when I ask for money for people and donations, so it's to get the best voice possible right. that, that we can get. And I'm very proud of that. And I think we have done that. We are continuing to do it with the Rigoletto. And we're just real fortunate to be able to get some singers because COVID stopped everything. Yeah. And there weren't any singing, weren't, weren't any singers out there getting jobs. Many singers had to change their occupation altogether because there was no more work. And now everybody's starting to get back in it. But the opera business has slowly, not deteriorated, but stopped a little mm-hmm. bit. So you, we have a whole new flock of singers. Okay, everybody's new that's getting into the business. They're young. It's just not the same. It's almost like a restart. It's a restart, and either some make it to restart or some don't. And so then you have to start. I listen to millions of singers all the time to hire the singer I want, and I they all put their their information on on YouTube and in their websites and all that. So you're able to pit, find your singers and good singers. But I have in my mind what kind of sound I want yeah. for these roles that I mostly I've sung. So I have my mind going on what kind of sound I want. And that is a huge advantage. Is that intimidating for some of these younger singers? They don't know. They, they don't, don't care. They, They're you... only thinking about themselves. Okay. <laughs> and that's, I think I was that way too. I, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. It's, it's just me, 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 me. This is that kind of business. You, you mentioned Rigoletto, the, the upcoming 
performance. Tell me, you know, for listeners that don't know that opera, uh-huh. um, or that don't know why you're so excited about it, like, tell us about it. It is, of, of all the Verdi, I mean, a lot of people love Traviata, mm-hmm. but I think of all the Verdi, this may be the best music. My personal favorite is Balo and Mascara of the Verdi, but nobody does that okay. anymore. I don't know that one. So Verdi, uh, this has La Donna Mobile, it has Caro Nome, which is the Sopranos, and the, everyone that comes to this will probably recognize all right. these tunes. And I would encourage them to get on YouTube and watch the opera. Because okay. there are several versions. There are classical versions. The Met has a version that took place in Las Vegas. And they do kind of a Las Vegas theme. We're doing a little more Western theme with ours. And it's just fabulous drama. I don't want to give the punchline away. But it's fabulous drama. It's very serious. It's not a lot of laughing going on. Yeah. But there's a party scene at the first. And, you know, we you're when you can sing Verdi, you're devoted to your music. Because it's Verdi and Puccini are the crowd pleasers. It's going to be something they'll come and sit and someone will start singing and they'll go, well, I know that. Mm-hmm. I know that opera. I know that piece. And the fact that we it is a semi-stage production means there's not a lot of business going on on stage. It's about singing. And we did this to see if this will work for our audiences. It's all about our audiences right. and what will work for our audience. That's how I choose what opera we're going to do. The big thing going on right now in the world of opera is modern, new, not so melodic music. Okay. So we can't do that here. Yeah. I can imagine it's difficult running uh, not just an opera company, but like any arts company, because people like you want to you want to kind of push the audience or bring the audience along or introduce them to new things. Yes. But you also want to please the audience. And a lot of what pleases them is the familiar stuff. And so it's a real delicate balance. It's very delicate, but I do want to bring in new things. Uh, they've done Rigoletto here before, but the pieces we're doing next year, they haven't done one of them. Okay. So it'll, but it's classic. But we go to these conventions, like I go to the Opera America convention, and you go to all these groups, and they all talk about there's some avant garde companies out there that do the wildest avant garde. Stuff that my people would walk out. Yeah. They would walk out of the audience. And then, the yeah, performers it, might love it, yes, but like the audience. You can't do it. It's all about the audience and educating the audience and bringing in young people. Mm-hmm. We, we do lots of outreach. Lots. So we want to educate everybody, but we have to make them happy. I want everybody to leave the theater happy. Yeah. Even though this is a tragedy, they'll leave there happy because they will have heard the most glorious singing. And my other mission is shorter, 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 because opera's too long. Right. So you've already upset people when they can't go to the bathroom in an hour and a half. Yeah. You know, you've got to be careful about that. Don't want them squirming in their seats. Don't want them squirming. And we're this is a three-act opera that we're doing it in two acts, because if you do three acts here, you'll lose everybody. Hmm. So we do it in two acts. Tell me about the opera itself, putting it sort of within the context of Amarillo's arts community. Because I I think a lot of people maybe come to Amarillo um, or they hear about what's happening in Amarillo and they're surprised that we have a ballet and a little theater, a symphony. It's been here a hundred seasons, Amarillo Opera. 
Uh, and that all of these arts organizations are as strong and mm-hmm. well-funded and have such talented performers as we have. And they're just like, how, how does that happen here in Amarillo? And I, I wonder from your perspective with Amarillo Opera, like what's special about this area that allows that to continue? We do have a lot. And in my opinion, too much sometimes. Really? Mm-hmm. Too many options. Too many options. It's kind of been my soapbox for a while. We've got to, and we are, all the arts organizations are really trying to work together to do this. But if you have so much, people go to, let's say, a, a concert or something, and then the next week, there's another one. And then the next week, there's another one. There's no downtime. And we all have to help each other. So collaboration is very important. And I think we all are doing that. But there are some times when it's just too much. I don't want to go. Yeah. I need to go. You feel like you should support everybody, all the arts community. Yes, but you're just exhausted. Yeah. And if you're running a company, you really are exhausted. And then everybody has to have their fundraisers. And mm-hmm. But then I just think we have too many nonprofits, not in ballet, symphony, blah, 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 not in the main groups, but in other things. And so you're asking the same group of people for money all the time. And it's a problem. It is a problem. Does it tell you anything about the ambition of this area or the generosity of this area? Like that we're working oh. so hard to sustain all this stuff? Yeah, we are. And it's Amarillo is so generous. People give so much. They give to everything. I mean, arts, yes, but everything. People are givers here in this part of the country. Mm-hmm. I would try to say it's probably one of the biggest giving communities per capita in the country. I think that's probably right. I mean, it's just giving, and that's the beauty of this area. The worst part, of course, is the wind. Yeah, it, we talk. It's you know, not you great said, on your voice. It's not great on your voice because there's a lot of dust going on. And when singers come in town, it takes them a couple of days. Because yeah. not only that, we have an altitude. Mm-hmm. We are up here 3,500 feet, aren't we? Yeah, people people don't. Yeah, it's not so easy. Recognize that. Yeah, and they come and they can't catch their breath. It takes about five or six days. And so even the artists you bring in, yes, they have, they go, oh, I can't, you know, and then the dust, you know, it's a, it's a lot of stuff. But yeah, about back to the too much going on. Let okay. me justify that. Justify it. Okay. What's bad is that someone's going to suffer. Someone is going to suffer for all the stuff going on. Arts fatigue. Arts fatigue. And you're fatiguing the audience. Yeah. Audience fatigue. Okay, that's what I call it. That's an interesting. That's an interesting thing to think about because I think about it in terms of abundance. Isn't it so great? I have so many options. My answer to that is really, it's that great, really, mm-hmm. because too much. Because you're worried about that. You're yeah, worried about yeah too much competition. Yeah, for- and if they go go go, and then well, they're tired by the time they can't come to Rigoletto because they're exhausted, and it's just the opera. Yeah. Because people will choose probably that. I'd rather go to a baseball game. Yeah, or... exactly. Exactly, yeah. exactly. We're not usually calling on those people at the baseball game mm-hmm. to come to the opera, but I, they would love it. They would love it, and no one wants to give it a chance. So we have to do the outreach. Love to do the outreach, by the way, because we've got to get these kids educated to like opera and like the music and like the fun of that. So for next generations, it's all about in the future. Yeah. Well, I mean, you bring in somebody, say you bring in somebody from the opera and they sing the Star Spangled Banner at yeah. the Sod Poodles game. Yep. It's a crowd favorite. The crowd loves it when they're surprised by a voice. Yep. It's about uh, celebrate the voice. Yeah. And the country western singers, even they get up there, sometimes they, I mean, no one loved 
the guy that sang for the Super Bowl, Chris Stapleton, mm-hmm. more than I did. Yeah. I loved it. But I, lo- I like that kind of music. Sure. I mean, my favorite entertainer in the whole world was John Prine. So oh, who would think that of an right. opera singer? You know, I love it all. I love it all. But you got to give it all a chance. Okay, so you are towards the end of your career, I mm-hmm. imagine. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, you know, what does what does retirement look like for you? Or do you do you intend to stay in Amarillo? Because oh, yeah, I'm not very going intentionally to... stayed in Amarillo. Oh, yeah, no, no, else. yeah, we're here. Our children, our daughter and her, our two grandchildren are here. My son's in Atlanta, and his gal is there, so they'll probably stay there. But, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, it, it's a matter of how long will I stay with the opera. I hope until, well, until I get exhausted, mm-hmm. so... You We've think, got to keep the opera going. Yeah. You, do you think it it has a lot of growth potential still in this area? Mm. As you start to reach out to younger audiences or to new audiences. It's the, uh, every one of us in the classical music business suffers from not enough young people mm-hmm. coming to our shows. Because it's that, like church. That built-in audience is aging yeah, out. Yeah, it's aging out. Donors are aging out. So we've got to get those young people that are raising kids and don't have time to come. It's an interesting twist, but it's not just Amarillo. Right. It's everybody in the whole in the whole world. Not just the United States, the whole world. This episode of Hey Amarillo is supported by Dr. Eddie Sauer, who practices general dentistry at Shimon Dental Group. Eddie has been my dentist since I was in college, and he's taken care of my kids' teeth ever since... They got teeth. Dr. Sauer is a national speaker on Invisalign, using that technology to improve his patients' smiles and positioning, including members of my own family. We were really satisfied with that approach, especially compared to metal braces. So you can learn more by following Shimon Dental on Facebook or visit shimondental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N. Okay, I'm back with Mary Jane Johnson. Mary Jane, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. It's sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its latest exhibit is called High Fashion to the High Plains and features vintage dresses by Christian Dior, Chanel, and other major designers, which were owned by Panhandle people like Betty Bivens, uh, Sybil B. Harrington, mm-hmm. Irene Wilson-Parks. And so you can see some of those dresses at the museum they're super cool if you mm-hmm. like the high-end fashion stuff. Learn more about that at panhandleplains.org. Okay, we, we've talked about the, the past uh, with Amarillo, but when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? I hope that Amarillo will become more progressive mm-hmm. and take care of growing. Okay. And it's got to happen. We've got young people here. We need things. Yeah, they we need things. things. They want things, and we must provide them. When you when you say progressive in that way, like, what does that mean to you? Is it is it well? We we've progress. I mean, progress, and we've got to have more facilities, mm-hmm. and we've got to embrace that, and bring Amarillo up to the level of Lubbock, which it is not. Mm-hmm. And you know, Amarillo's competed with Lubbock for years and years and years, starting in nineteen twenty three. Yeah, when the state of Texas awarded Texas Tech to Lubbock and not Amarillo. And there's been this rivalry for years. Well, now I know they have the school, but they are progressing far beyond that with facilities for young people, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? That's a hard one. I looked at that question thinking, what is it? 
Well, wind, yeah, wind. Uh, dust. Yeah. That goes with the wind. Yeah, we just need more stuff for young people. We need a swimming facility. Yeah. We need that. So it, it's not too many. We we don't have enough of Yeah, we don't have enough. I've, I think too many. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll just skip I, I'm not to good the on that one. question. What is Pass this, on. What does this area not have enough of? Performance facilities. We need a small hall. Yeah. We need a 500-seat hall. I think the little theater is redoing a hall. Yeah. But I don't know if it will be available to others. Yeah, and I'm not sure of its size either. I'm not either. The college has a 200-seat hall. Okay. And then, of course, the Globe News is 12. Right. So you need something between that. We need that. something between that. That's really a huge thing. And we need that for the opera. Mm-hmm. Is that just because it's hard to fill 1,200 seats? Yes, it is. It is. And you want to have the energy. And, and the you want house. it to have in- intimacy. Okay. So you want it to have that. But when we were doing loading in for COVID, we put seats between people, and mm-hmm. that made it look bigger, of course. But we need a 500-seat house. And there's some outdoor spaces. I know the new art uh, school over there on Sunset Center. Yeah. They're going to have Sunset. an outdoor space. Mm-hmm. They have an indoor space, too, but it has a low ceiling. We need a 500-seat hall. Okay. What's the most underrated thing about living in Amarillo? Well, every time I bring artists in, this is kind of interesting, they flip out over our restaurants. And we take them to family-owned restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just go crazy over things like Green Chili Willies or the Big Texan. or They just go crazy. So I think we underestimate that as pe- people that live here. Okay. That we really have... Great things to do. Does it surprise them that very surprising? Yes, yeah, it surprises them, and that they're so good. Okay, that the food is so good. There, all my New Yorkers and Californians that came in for Hansel and Gretel and Barbara Seville, they can't wait to come back because they want to go to that all those restaurants. All right, so that's a that's a shock. That's good to know, though. Yeah, it is good to know, and and I think we we do a great job doing that. Underestimated. I think our facilities Kids Inc. are doing mm-hmm. is fabulous. Mm-hmm. And but this has to be totally private. Yeah. So and it's, you know, that that will be really exciting when they get the new facilities open. Kids Inc. itself, you know, was just a part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh and when I realized that not every kid had those kinds of opportunities I know that we it. have here, like I'm always surprised. We have great and, opportunities. Yeah. And my grandchild I go to all those things because my grandchildren play and do all those things. So it's a surprise. It's a surprise for Amarillo. Okay. What's your favorite local coffee shop? I, I can't answer that because I go to all of them. Okay. And the new ones, the little pop-up ones that are yeah. everywhere, I've not tried that yet. They're pretty pricey. Like scooters and Scooter, I, Yeah. The, I'm, I'm anxious to try them, yeah, but I'm going so fast where I'm going, and, where, and I am trying to not drink coffee anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. But I love Palace. I love ro- Roaster's. Star- I go to Starbucks. I like all of them. I, okay. I really do. You're an equal opportunity. Yes, it is. Drinker or tea drinker. Yeah, whatever tea, you're tea. Drink. All right. What's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? Okay, the food truck thing I have not been into as much as I should be, but there's one, I don't know which what the name of it is, but he makes pizzas, and he I don't even know which one it is. Do you know about food trucks? I, I know some. There it, are several that make pizza, though. So. Yes, there are, and it, it looks like a building. Okay, the is it Reagan's? Yes. Reagan's brick oven? Yes. They have a really cool truck. Yes, very sure. cool truck. I think that's really cute. Okay. And the other one I've been to, Pizza Place, was over 
off of Coulter, and I think they, I don't know, but I don't go down Amarillo Boulevard a lot, and that's where they all hang yeah, out. There's a lot there. But I love the idea of food trucks. I think it's great. I want to do a function with food trucks. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I love it. I love the whole idea. I think that's how you get young people in. Okay. What's your favorite local neighborhood? Well, I live in across from the country club on Avondale. So that's my right. favorite neighborhood. That's a cool neighborhood. Yeah, it is very. There are some. Uh, some really interesting homes yep. in that area, some old homes mm-hmm. uh, that I think if people haven't like driven around there, they might be surprised to see. Yes, very surprising. It's like a little, a little tiny Wolfland, you know, kind of. And I've lived all over town. Yeah. I mean, I was downtown on Polk Street in a historical home when we first moved here, uh, the last time we first moved here. <laughs> and then I've been out to Sleepy Hollow and I've been in Paramount, but this is my favorite area. Okay. Even though we have lots of sirens that there go are, down Ninth Street. Yeah. yeah. I understand that. When you mentioned this earlier, but when was the last time you visited the Big Texan? I love the Big Texan. Love what they do for Amarillo. What they do for Amarillo is enormous. Well, I will tell you this: that after this thing, last Thanksgiving, I vowed to have Thanksgiving at the Big Texan next year. Really? So I don't have to cook. Yeah. But I'm going to. I'm calling to make reservations it's a soon. Popular place oh yeah, I'm real excited. I'm really excited. But I love the Big Texan. Okay. Well, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? Well, the opera. I know I need to say something more interesting than that <laughs> because I'm the opera person. Uh, endorse. Well, we got elections coming up. Yeah. Vote. They need to vote. That's a good one. Yeah. It's like we need to, you know, we need to vote. We There's need to, no reason. I can't tell you my 10% candidates. 10% of the community should be choosing its leaders. That's for the exactly other right. And we've got some big ones coming up. I yeah. can't tell you who I'm endorsing because... No, no, but, and I wouldn't either, but I do want people to come out and vote because yeah. otherwise you're just letting everybody else make the decision. Yeah, you. you've got to vote. You, it, no matter where you live, no matter what part of town, everything, you've got to be a part of your community. And you've got to embrace. If you want change, you have to embrace. Yeah. All right. That's a good message. I can get behind that for sure. Oh, I've I've had so much fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Mary Jane for the interview. You can learn more about Amarillo Opera at amarilloopera.org. And you can also get tickets for Verdi's Rigoletto, which is April 1st, through that site. For what it's worth, one of the stars of Rigoletto is Eric Berry, who was a guest on this podcast back in 2018. Thanks also to Angelina Marie for editing this episode and to sponsors Shimon Dental and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the show. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Patrick Burns, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 291. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.